0: Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing at 1.15 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, Wednesday morning. Feels like Thursday. Because we stayed up to watch the play-in games. Joining me from New Orleans, Louisiana is uh, Anscape's Mark J. Spear. Hello, Mark.
1: Is it Is it Wednesday yet? It is Wednesday.
0: It is. Not where you yeah. live. Not, Not where I am. Room. It yeah. is. It's still Tuesday where Kevin Pelton is in Seattle.
2: <laughs> the yeah. night is like, <laughs> young. Probably let's, feels let's...
0: like Wednesday.
2: <laughs> the, the night is young. Let's play three. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I wondered somebody um, uh, mentioned this to me today. Um, should with this new schedule, should the NBA have the playoffs start on Thursday? Mm. If it's, it feels weird to have play in play in, we should have two first-round games that are already set on Thursday to just keep the momentum going, I think. That's
2: a good no, question. I, I hadn't know. thought about it like that. I I want that night off because the, the Monday they take off is annually the WNBA draft, so I've got that occupying that night. Thursday is like the one fully guaranteed night off for me.
1: And I think from a TV standpoint, they like it to start on the weekend, I guess, for some reason, Saturday and Sunday. I mean, not that baseball is really anything you're paying attention to at this point, right?
0: For sure. For sure. Um, well, anyway, it was uh, – how do we describe that Laker-Wolves game? It was interesting. It was certainly a play-in game.
1: I call it the greatest – the worst greatest fourth quarter I've ever seen.
0: Oh, my God. Lakers they just win needed some Benny
1: Hill music in the background.
0: <laughs> I don't know if our, if our listeners are going to uh, know what that's a reference to. You might have to Google that
1: or once they hear
0: um it. yakety sax right isn't that mm-hmm. what they uh uh the music is called um jackson do you know what benny hill is i do not oh
1: you're lying are you serious <laughs> i'm serious
0: I mean, i'm not surprised do you know what yakety sax is
2: i do not I just Pelton, go- do you know yes yes i know about okay.
0: all right Alright, anyway, uh it's not a good, it's not a good, it's not a compliment. No. <laughs> um the Lakers win an OT. Um I, I there's so much to say about how awful that game was. So many terrible, terrible things happened. It, it <laughs> calling it a win is <laughs> I don't even know if you can call the Lakers winning it, but uh look, they did. I mean, the thing about it was <laughs> All the guys that they traded for weren't in the game. (laughs) They, you know, Darvin Ham benched D'Angelo Russell, no Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. I don't remember the last time he came in the game. I mean, it was basically just, (laughs) it was kind of the old school Lakers trying to get it done. And it reminded me of the old school Lakers because it was awful. And Spears, I think, I think Carl Towns got his fifth foul and just retired. Wow. I don't even know.
1: I, I don't know if Anthony Edwards even showed up the whole game either. At least. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I mean, we're recording this immediately after the game. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we'll get, we'll hear about some interviews. Oh, I was like, got put,
1: to... put Austin Rivers in at this point. Like, at least he'll, you know, I, I, I've, I've known um, Ant Man to be somebody that plays some of his best basketball in, in the biggest moments and the in most challenging of games and I was expecting a Godzilla like performance for him to come in and step on the buildings of LA downtown. I am absolutely stunned that he had these struggles that he stopped going to his signature drives, not using his athleticism to his advantage. Um I I'm I'm I as you could tell, I kinda I'm just very stunned that he didn't have a just a decent game. Let alone such seven, a
0: well I I don't know if his shoulder how bad his shoulder was bothering him. Yeah. I I, I mean but he
1: shot nine threes, it wasn't hurting it too much.
0: Well, exactly. He was three of seventeen, oh of nine on three. Um I, I don't know what to make of it. I you know, the, the Lakers really were not very good. And mm-hmm they were really relying on Dennis Schroeder. Like for a while there, Dennis Schroeder was the only guy on the floor doing anything. And Mike um, Conley the
1: other end, right?
0: Yeah, but it wasn't much. I mean, Conley had a couple of plays, including yeah. the, he got fouled with a 10th of a second left in regulation and hit uh, three free throws. Um, but part of it was like, there was literally nobody else doing anything. Um, and I mean, I, I'm going to circle Carl Towns because, you know, Towns's playoff history, I mean, to me, this is postseason. The regular season is over. This is postseason. People can say whatever they want. His playoff history is um, scattered, to say the least. He's got a couple of impressive performances. He's got a couple of performances that he, you know, are not commiserate of, the, of what they need from him. He, he took in the entire fourth quarter, and I realized he was playing with foul trouble. But in the entire fourth quarter, he took two shots and there was repeated times where he had matchup advantages where he had Austin Reeves on him or Schroeder on him and he just gave the ball up. Um, I, I just like he didn't, he just wasn't looking for it. And when he did the couple of times, he did shoot it. He just sort of faded away he did not take a shot in overtime he had a a what do you what do you call 5 trillions uh pelton quadrillion quadrillion he had a quadrillion overtime he played 5 minutes nothing no shot no rebound no foul no turnover no nothing he did nothing in overtime and in the fourth quarter, he took two shots and had one rebound. So, uh, look, you can blame Rudy Gobert. You can blame Jaden McDaniels. You can question Anthony Edwards. You can, you can say a lot of stuff. You can say that the officials, there were, there were some fouls, I thought, in the second half that the Lakers uh, got. You know, There was one play where Anthony Davis, when LeBron threw that dying quail lob, in there late in the fourth quarter and you know it looked like he kind of mauled uh towns to get uh to get position to score. I mean you can say all that. I agree with all of it. It's fine. Lakers got calls whatever. Unacceptable for your 200 million dollar player um in that situation to be a zero. Yeah. Zero down the stretch of that game. And there's a lot you can take away from this, but uh, and he had a great but, start.
1: Yeah, he had a great start.
0: Yeah, but um, that should,
1: should should we? Does Mike? Conley well, deserve, I mean that counts. Some but blame it's, for. I mean that's why Mike is there, right? To take control of the game, to make sure the guys get the ball where they need to go, to kind of be the conductor. And you know, I think Mike probably looking back would probably say, "Yeah, I, I probably should have." got cat the ball where he needed to get to be successful or pushed him to be successful like their whole team was just bad i even think the coaching was bad at at some point you know their timberwolves do have a couple guys that could score on the bench like just take edwards out and put somebody else in give somebody else a chance
2: And it was tough because he was such a factor at the defensive end of the court, which, you know, to his credit, he he was bringing it at that end, whatever he was going through. But yeah, I mean, you know, the final 11 minutes of fourth quarter in overtime, according to Alan Horton, their radio broadcaster, was two of 16, eight turnovers. And one thing that stood out to me, there's a lot of conventional wisdom about, you know, the importance of getting close to the hoop that doesn't bear out statistically. But one thing that does bear out is in the fourth quarter. In late game situations, three point percentages go way down as compared to the rest of the game, whether it's fatigue or whatever it is that sets in. And we saw that with the Timberwolves where, mm-hmm. you know, they built this lead on the strength of starting 16 of 32 from three. And then in the fourth quarter, those all dried up. And of in the last eight minutes of regulation, this changed a little bit in overtime, last eight minutes of regulation, they did not take a shot closer than 22 feet to the basket.
0: Oh, oh Whoa. my God.
2: You know, I'm not questioning yeah. that because it felt Her, like it yeah, I was, I'm sorry, technically it was a tip in. That, that was the one thing. So they didn't take their first shot oh, ever. It was and Edwards
1: away. layup was in overtime. Yep.
0: Yeah. He had that dunk in transition. Oh my God. Um, well, the fouls well so
1: then out. do we beat up the coach? Like, like who there's a lot of blame to point around here. Does A-Rod get some of this too? <laughs> like, it's just like, I, I, I you know what? And. And if you look at how the Timberwolves played in the playoffs last year, and I've talked to Ant-Man about this, like they were kicking themselves about losing that series to Memphis. Like they really felt like they should have won that series. And it was the same stuff. Late games, just falling apart, lack of poise, bad offense. It's 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 it seems like this is the same thing we saw from them in the playoffs. Other than the play in game that they did win when Patrick Beverly, you know, celebrated.
0: <laughs> play in Pat as they call him. <laughs> uh he uh he gets to be in the play in again uh Wednesday night. Um the fouls were 21 to three in o- in the fourth quarter in overtime. Wolves over Lakers. Now let me just say Well the Lakers Wolves were aggressive
1: fu- too, right? The I mean.
0: Wolves were fouling, they were fouling. There were there definitely were some calls that favored the the Lakers, no question about it. The Wolves were fouling though. Um, and you know, that was, you know, but I'm I'm sure that there's gonna be frustration on the the Wolves fans, but you just can't you can't run offense like that. You just can't do it. Um and I, I <sighs> Yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to make of this. If you're a Grizzlies, you got to feel like, no, oh, that's not uh, the end of the world. Um, this is, um, this is good. You know, they exhaust I mean, themselves, that, and, and but they got five first. days now, though. I know they don't I play know. the
1: next Sunday. They got to is it? It probably was it five or six days. Five days.
0: Yeah. Um, the, be Lakers, you, the Lakers. The Lakers you know got a break in that they do, they don't play till Sunday the other um the eastern conference 7 seed plays Saturday the uh which is the uh, hawks so um uh who I don't know I'm just a little disjointed from that pelton um I I think I do think that the wolves had a good game plan um they really played a lot of uh, heavy body movement and ball movement. They knew that they um, were gonna have to get up a lot of threes they did. they were successful in that. Um, but uh, this happens often in the postseason the game devolves into a one-on-one game, an ISO game and that just was exactly what they did not what they did not need.
2: Yeah and I think there was also an element of protecting the lead. That they had throughout this yeah. game at some point. You you often see that. I we you sort of said that we you kind of stipulated at the start the the absence of Rudy Gobert. I mean, I feel like we should drill down on that because you know, in a game that goes to overtime in and that they end up losing, Carl Towns was a plus eighteen when he was on the court, the Timberwolves were plus 18. This game was lost primarily during the period where he was out of the game in foul trouble. And they started out trying Nathan Knight, who they had played as their backup center in game 82 against the Pelicans when they won with Gobert missing the entire second half of that game. And that quickly proved not to work. He was just too small, ineffective. So the rest of the night, they essentially used Kyle Anderson, who is a guy who not only a lot of the time plays small forward, was their center when Towns was on the bench and foul trouble. And that group was just not big enough to handle this Lakers front line.
0: And he played point guard at the other end. He had 13 assists, which is a career high. Um,
2: I think if Gobert and McDaniels play, they win.
0: I think that's a fair assessment. I I don't know. Right but now, it, I'm thinking... But they if, didn't.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So,
0: I mean, right now, I'm thinking if they had left Nikhil Alexander-Walker on the court, they win. Because... I mean, this is a guy who three teams have given up on just in the last year, and he was playing as impactful basketball as I've ever seen him play, considering the stakes. Um, it's a long look,
1: plane ride back to Minneapolis tonight, oh, boy. Man.
0: They may go back. I'm sure they're going back tomorrow. At 24 turnovers given up. It'll be a, <laughs> it, be a
1: long flight tomorrow. Whenever they're taking it, it's going to be a long
0: flight. Spears, what do you think about the decision to suspend Gobert? Um Considering all the circumstances.
1: Yeah. It was actually surprising. I, I do think it was warranted, but I'm surprised that they did it. You know, there have been other teams that have had issues that off the court, on the court that that didn't haven't done anything like this. Um, I, I think you could mention the Draymond Green thing, but that was during the preseason and there weren't be any games being played, but he he did miss like five or six days. Right. So, I mean, I, I actually, yeah,
0: you know, they didn't want to suspend him for ring night. And so, you know, he took like a leave of absence and who yeah. knows what they find him, but
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand you, you just can't do that. Right. You can't. And, um, I, I'm, I know Rudy, the way I know Rudy, I know he right now he's probably feeling awful Yeah, for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. Um, Seeing that game, seeing the impact that he could have had, I'm sure, defensively on the boards. Because uh, I think at the beginning of the game, there were probably a lot of people saying, oh, look, they play better without Rudy. They, they're playing, you know, they play great without him. But it'll be interesting to see how he responds Friday, assuming that he is playing Friday. But that's that's like a, something that he'll never forget the rest of his life. You know, yeah, the, the Lakers... especially if they if they get eliminated on Friday and and I do think that the Pelicans feel like if they win that they they are confident that obviously they did lose to them a couple of days ago but that they could beat beat the Timberwolves.
0: The Lakers had eight more offensive rebounds and uh 11 more second chance points. So yeah,
1: that that doesn't happen with Rudy there.
0: I assume LeBron yeah. was their best offensive player. He scored 30 and the last time they played, what did he shoot Gengel's though? 12 of turnovers. 21. But you know, he had five turnovers and it felt like more. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, he had some, he had some pretty, just in general, there was some pretty wild passes being thrown in this game. And then he got his pocket picked by Torian Prince yeah. late in the fourth quarter where Prince just caught him sleeping. And LeBron was called for a loose ball foul and, and it, uh, but they were, the Lakers were not in the bonus and that was fortunate, but like, um, you know, I don't think it was a command performance from LeBron, but he did, he did score 30 and when they had, when they made the comeback, he was uh, playing a big role. I think more impressive for LeBron is he had, um, uh, six assists and you had a couple of assists that set up uh, key three pointers, including the Dennis Schroeder three pointer at the end of the fourth quarter that, look like it was going to be the game winner and then
1: and that that shows just the greatness of him right like even when he doesn't score he gets a yeah. figures out a way to win, win the game you know or at yeah. least what appeared to be a winning shot at the time.
0: And I mean A D showed up but he had 24, 15 and three blocks, um, four assists. I mean he he was a factor and then you know at the end of the game or not but so much at the end, but several times when the game was just absolutely in the muck and nothing could happen. He just muscled in a basket. And um, I'm sure the Wolves fans were screaming he was committing offensive fouls, which he might have been. And, but you know what, Brian, he...
1: too? We gotta give the Lakers credit for clawing back. How, how many were they behind?
0: Uh 15.
1: They they were so listless in the first half, so like lack of urgency. And yeah, man which was really, really stunning under the circumstances. I don't know what was said in the locker room at halftime, but they definitely seemed to have a different light underneath them in the second half.
0: Well, we're in we're in. The, they came out more aggressive season, so one of the things that's fascinating about playoff games, especially play-in playoff games where it's you know, these games weren't one and done, but they kind of felt like one and done tonight. And the, um,
1: and the Rich versus the the riches you get versus the spoils, right? They're yeah. so vast.
0: Agreed, for sure. Um, so we see this in the playoffs all the time, where one team comes out of the gate and just completely plays with a different tempo and speed and, and uh, aggression. And after the game, I mean, I've heard this quote uttered a hundred times in dozens of different games, and you will start hearing it. It probably is being uttered right now um, as the players are being interviewed, but you will hear it starting this weekend over and over and over. They came out more aggressive, or if their team um, wins, they'll say we came out more aggressive. I I have heard this as an explanation for how a playoff game has gone over and over and over. And um, So I I will give the Wolves this, Pelton, is that they did come out aggressive. Uh, and that gave them a chance because they were able to build an early lead.
2: Yeah, I mean we saw it in both of the play-in games tonight, I think. It, yeah, Atlanta... I, I was gonna
0: say yeah, I was gonna I was saving Atlanta.
2: Okay, yeah. Atlanta but did yeah. did pull it out, you know, on the road. Thanks to that strong start. Minnesota wasn't able to. And you know, again, we we touched on it earlier, but talents was a huge part of that. And it, it didn't stand in contrast to what we've seen from him at times in the postseason and saw it at the end of this game. But he was close to unstoppable in the early. 24 stages. points
1: through three.
2: Yeah. And the foul trouble definitely seemed to have some sort of an impact on him. And, you know, he, he spent so long on the bench before coming back for that fourth 24 quarter 24 points
0: stretch. through five yeah. quarters. Yeah. The fifth foul was a a not intelligent foul.
2: I mean, I think the you first, the charge was a pretty ill-advised drive at that stage and compounded it, then, you know, picked up a more legitimate foul at the other end, but he had two fouls and. Twelve seconds after, right. you know, staying out of foul trouble, knowing that that was going to be crucial in this game without Gobert and without we should mention Nas Reed, who is still injured, and that kind of mm-hmm. exacerbated the the lack of center depth for the Timberwolves. Pelton,
0: what do you what do you make of the Lakers and their legitimacy to to threaten the Grizzlies in this next round? I mean, I don't I don't know how much to take out of this game they they do have a very good record since the the trade. And when they had to play defense in this game, they did get stops. I don't know how much of it was of the Wolves, you know, kind of just withering away. But um, there is this consent. There's this consensus that the Lakers are, are dangerous. I, I wouldn't be looking at them as a dangerous team if I was, had just seen tonight. I'm relying more on what I've seen for the last six weeks. But what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they are, four a seven seed, unusually dangerous when you combine their playoff experience. You know, they're there is the lower seed as we're going to also see in more dramatically so in the Kings Warriors series they're going to have the massive playoff experience advantage on their side in this series even though the, the Grizzlies did get a good taste of it last season uh winning around and you know playing the Warriors tough uh and then you know they they are clearly capable of getting to a level that is greater than their record indicates if they have the the guys they added at the trade deadline playing like they were in the regular season and not like they played tonight, which you know, I, again, I don't think you take too much from this. but I think there was a bit of a reminder that look, this is a different level of competition than the the Lakers have generally been facing in this post all-Star stretch. And one way in particular that should show up was Minnesota' shooting. Uh, predictably when the Lakers had this stretch where they were the number one defense after the trade, they were also in the bottom five, in opponent three point percentage. And that isn't necessarily something that's going to carry over. I think into, into the postseason.
0: Yeah. Um, Spears, how do you think, I mean, I'm sure the Grizzlies who do not necessarily need confidence, they, um, exude it. How do you think the Grizzlies fare now that they know it's the Lakers? Vivid Seats, experience it live. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package.
1: Um, In two games against uh, the Lakers this season, Jai averaged 30. Shot, eh, not amazing, 41% from the field, but 30 is 30, right? Nine assists. Six and a half rebounds. The guy I'm more curious about, is though, is uh,
2: Jackson. I don't know if I want to it, say
0: he's the key to the whole series, but he's really. But him,
2: him against, I'll, I'll say he's the key to the whole series. Yeah. I think he's the key to their whole playoff run. They have, you know, no Stephen Adams at this point, and yeah. we, we talked about Cats fell trouble. But well, we know there's a long history of Jaren Jackson. Well, that's the th- trouble. That's the
0: thing about the, I, you know, so um, when Gobert was announced as being suspended the The point spread on this game, and it may not have finished. I don't follow it real closely, but the point spread on this Lakers Wolves game went from like four and a half or five to like eight. And I think one of the reasons why the bookmakers thought that the Lakers weren't going to lose is because they assumed that Cat would be in foul trouble because the Lakers attacked the paint. Belton, um, I think I saw that uh, LeBron and AD we're number one and number two in the league in paint scoring this year. Could that be possible that I see as a, they averaged
2: maybe a per um, game basis. Cause yeah. Yeah. Not total, but.
0: Um, And um, you know, one thing about Austin Reeves, who's playing a lot now, he attacks the paint and draws fouls. So you know that a big part of Laker game plan against anybody is going to be to get into that paint. And so, you know, LeBron does it, not necessarily just a score, but he does it to, to kick. It's a big part of his game is to draw the defense and kick. So um, I suspect that one of the things that you're going to see happen is the Lakers just go at Jaron Jackson's body and try to draw him into fouls, which he is known to do. And in and those three to, games,
1: he, he averaged five fouls a game.
0: There you go. And that's the, the thing. Like Part of the reason why the Lakers get such a foul differential is because it sets the way they play. You know, I think Monty Williams, you know, he had multiple rants about the about the Suns' um, lack of fouls, you know, in the last uh, few weeks of the season. But if you watch the Suns, the way they play is they avoid shooting fouls. They, they stop in the mid-range. The Lakers really hunt for those fouls. And so it was a factor tonight, absolutely, and I suspect it'll be a factor. That's, you know, a... a, a One of the things that we're going to be watching very closely, I think, you know, I'm not, you know, D'Angelo Russell is not inspiring confidence right now. Coming off this foot injury, he was basically benched tonight. So, um, I do think the Lakers are going to need some outside shooting. And I think the Grizzlies are so good defensively that the Lakers may have difficulty scoring. One of the things that is that was happening while they were the top defense in the league since the the trade or or one of i don't know if they finished there but they were pretty close their offense was in the middle of the pack you know part of that could be that um lebron was hurt for a bunch of it but if you watched them tonight there were whole huge huge sections of the of the uh late game where they just couldn't generate open shots like they, they were really really struggling to even execute multiple passes even sometimes when they got shots the spacing was really bad and the Grizzlies are a much better defensive team than the Wolves are. You know, I think that there's a possibility that the Lakers may really, really need those free throws just to get their scoring up in that series. And, you know, I'm sure that the Grizzlies are also going to want to run on them. And, you know, LeBron, at this point in his career, isn't really a guy who wants to run that much. So um, it will be... Yeah, what, he
1: played 48 minutes tonight?
0: Yeah, and he was exhausted by the end, exhausted, you know. He's, you know, that's one of the things that's happened is LeBron's gotten later in his career. um, He really has figured out, I wrote a whole piece about this three or four years ago about how LeBron has really worked on the art of resting while playing, you know, Uh, kind of like a boxer, you know, he kind of leans on the ropes when the time is right. And, you know, leans on the other guy when the time is right to get a break, Uh, how swimmers, you know, in those endurance races, they like. You know, when they kick off the wall, they, like, rest their bodies. Like, LeBron rests during the game. He walks the ball up the court at times. He he um, will have low-energy possessions to try to save energy. Um, so, uh, and that's ja, one of the things. And ja ja is
1: always going downhill.
0: Oh, my God. always
1: going downhill, man.
0: Ja looks like he's playing with a different level of gravity than everybody else. Looked like he's... Yeah. Looks like he turns gravity down like a notch because he just bounces. He just he's like the definition of live legs. Holy Moses!
1: And and Brian, um, let's go back to that. Was that play earlier in the season where LeBron got into it with Dylan Brooks, or
0: I mean, half the Lakers have been into it with Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah, half the NBA has been yeah, into it. That's right. Well, Brooks.
1: I mean, remember the? But it was pretty interesting play where like the grizzlies were like beating them down and they they kind of were like talking to lebron
2: That was desmond bain last year right
1: desmond bain was that last season
2: yeah it was last season so i'm sure that
1: video will start coming up again about that and that's gonna it's gonna be an interesting series a really fun
2: series i think very curious to see uh, where shannon sharp is going to be sitting in this series yeah well
1: (laughs) i mean yeah that part too right like
0: directly across from the grizzlies bench if the lakers (laughs) are smart um so I don't ever, when it comes down to doing the all defensive teams and defensive player of the year, I've gotten into a habit for my ballot of talking to coaches and um, personnel directors and assistant coaches to ask their opinion um, because there aren't great metrics defensively. All of them have some level of flaw. Maybe you would disagree with Pete Pelton, but, um, and, you know, I watch the league, but you know, I don't always watch it with, this, with the eye of, of the, who's the greatest defender. I mean, I know who's good, but sort of break ties. And um, so I did. I went, I talked to probably t- 10 or 12 people, asked their opinion. You know, last year I did this when I couldn't figure out who to vote for Defensive Player of the Year. And there was an Eastern Conference coach, uh, um, not Eric Spolstra, but an Eastern Conference head coach who kind of gave an impassioned uh, speech to me about why Bam Adebayo should have been defensive player of the year. And I talked to another coach, another Eastern conference coach last year, who like wasn't as impassioned, but kind of backed it up. And it, I voted for Bam for that reason. And so this year I did it again. And I talked to all these people and like multiple, like four or five people were like, I don't really like Dylan Brooks. I don't like, the way he goes about his business, but he is a real thorn for us defensively. He really does work very hard and do a very good, like basically they were like, look, I don't want you to vote for him, but <laughs> he is, I mean, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth. Nobody actually said those exact words, but you know, they basically were like, listen, regardless of what all Dylan Brooks is, the guy defends like a demon.
2: Well, well let me say the adjusted plus minus this year, said the same thing. And that yeah. like there was a stage earlier in his career I kind of thought that Brooks it was a little bit of, you know, people were overrating the the on ball toughness. And, you know, he didn't necessarily make as many plays as a help defender. But the last couple of years, the Grizzlies defense has been much better with him on the court, even when you account for the other personnel, even when we account for Jaron Jackson Jr. who, you know, was very much in the defensive player of the year conversation. So he he was on my second team all defense.
0: Yeah, he he was on my second team as well. And um Uh, I just thought it was funny having the conversations with people. Um, There was one assistant coach from a team that he had bad blood with during the year, and he was like, don't tell my locker room that I'm telling you this, but I would put put Dylan on the line. (laughs) Um, But um, I did vote for Jaron Jackson as Defensive Player of the Year. Um, There was a um, concept that he didn't play enough minutes that – you know, he missed a bunch of time at the start of the season. And then he missed a bunch of time because he was sitting on the bench with foul trouble. And, um, and that's a compelling argument that, you know, um, and I, I, I think Zach Lowe's ballot um, comes out on Wednesday and Zach, I don't know what he did, but I know Zach was mulling voting for Evan Mobley for defensive player of the year. And part of the reason was because Mobley's had just played so much more minutes, but, and that's all fine. I don't know how you feel about it, Pelton. But again, when I talk to all these people, they said Jaron Jackson, Jaron, you know, going down the list, guys whose job it is to analyze the personnel in the league. You know, uh, you know, assistant coaches who study all this film. You know, who's you know who have you know three or four teams that they drill down on, especially Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jackson. There were several people who advocated for brooks brook lopez as well but uh jerry and Jay, I kept hearing it over and over and over and of course i watched him play i i know what kind of impact he makes but um you know so you you know the grizzlies have a lot going for them defensively and and you know that's what the lakers are gonna have to contend with now
2: yeah, and the the other part of the Jackson piece, I I did end up going at Brook Lopez over Jackson, but I don't think either of them is a bad choice for Defensive Player of the Year. Like the the way he came on offensively late in the season was really notable, uh, particularly starting in that stretch when John Morant was suspended. And I think that's going to be a key piece in this series as well is you know what he can provide them offensively.
0: Yeah, Spears. I don't know if which series you are going to be spending time on. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'll let you guess.
1: <laughs> Just, what, what's uh, late, late that? Beam?
0: Uh yeah. Well, I I are you making a pick in that series, by the way, Warriors I did, I
1: did make a pick and Sacramento's mad with me now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I mean, look, I mean Sac- Sacramento, I feel like is has a chip on his shoulder permanently, and nothing that is happening in the national media is gonna help. I mean
1: no. I said seven you, games.
0: Yeah. That, that they, they don't look at that.
1: I always no, I would you know I always notice on those picks nobody ever looks at the games. They just look at, to see whether you picked their team or not.
0: I agree. I agree. I was kind of worried
2: it was gonna be like this would come out and it would be every single ESPN analyst would pick the Warriors. Uh and, and well in fact, all but would, all but two did. Yeah, Jerry Bembry and, and Bobby Marks picked the Kings. Yeah. And
1: I got what a nasty you- I got a nasty text message from a, one of the coaches who I'll leave nameless. It wasn't Mike Brown. Like
0: and his his point is you're that, you're that, killing I us. Be, that I was gonna be
1: that I was going be wrong that oh now you now you don't believe in us anymore, we're gonna show you we're gonna win this series but okay, that's how you show me,
0: well, as Jackson points out, they uh, haven't lost uh, Sacramento hasn't lost a playoff game since two thousand six um <laughs> So Spears, right before the pod, you were pointing out that this is the first time ever all four California teams made the playoffs now that the Lakers are in.
1: pretty interesting. And it's the first time all three Texas teams did it.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, the thing about it is the Warriors had that relatively long playoff drought from 94 to 07, the We Believe team, and it coincided with the beginning of the Kings playoff drought from the year before. So you stack them on top of each other, and so it's it's pretty easy to understand why the why California hasn't had you know the four teams in in a long time because <laughs> those two droughts were on top of each other. And, um, and, I do... and go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: No, I was saying, uh, living living in Northern California, you know, where they're they're kind of starting to call it the I eighty series because that's the freeway in between the two cities, and I I am really excited about. And most notably game one, because it, it will be Sacramento's first game in 17 years. First game, playoff game in their new, in their relatively new venue. But this is like, we forget like the Like Someone pointed out to me on radio in San Francisco the other day, where I, I kind of said that, you know, the way the Warriors have been playing doesn't suggest another championship right now, right? Obviously, Wiggins is probably back. But he said, hey, when all those guys are playing together, they haven't lost really. You know, and that's it's true.
2: It's, this is a more uh, robust sample size than that Celtics healthy starting yeah. five never losing. Yeah, yeah. yeah and
1: Perk so that's blue, has, blue has knee. So yeah. I I think Sacramento fans shouldn't take it personal that people are picking the Warriors. They're the reigning yeah, I mean, champs. They they, they they they've had a lot of success when healthy. With this group, like I think they probably would have been stunned if they if I, I, I understand they're the second third seed. I understand that, but. I don't know that seeds matter in these, this West playoffs right now.
0: I agree. And I also think that, look, Sacramento is, might lick them a few times. Like maybe in game one, maybe they'll beat them by 30 points. Like, but like I know the Warriors are, are going to handle, be able to handle that. The question is, what will happen to SAC if they suffer a setback? Because that's where you question. What their experience level is, and um, I I'm, do.
1: Want- I'm I'm wondering about their game one, man. Like this is there's so much they haven't played. Kings haven't played well lately, especially not at home. Now they're going home. There's gonna be a lot of hype, a lot of excitement,
2: a um, lot of expectations, a lot
1: of expectations, a lot of nervousness. Uh, Fox's first playoff game. A lot of those guys' first playoff games were Warriors. This is
0: right. It's like their hundred thirtieth playoff uh, game,
1: and the and they took a ninety minute bus ride to get there. Maybe they fly a fifty minute flight. Like this isn't a typical road trip for them, too. Like I wonder if after the game, do they go home? You I'm might sure as well they go will. home and work at practice at well, home. Facility, I mean, we'll right?
0: see. We'll see what the schedule is, but most likely they're going to have two days off between games. I'm sure. I, games. I've covered many teams.
1: They'll be in their own bed that night.
0: I've covered many teams that have flown home. After a game one of a playoff series, whether it was yeah. like Miami, Washington, Orlando. yeah, Washington back to you know, like when the Washington Cavs series I covered, when like Toronto Washington series, like you know, Phoenix LA. I've seen it happen. Um I do want to talk about Atlanta. So Atlanta gets the win in Miami. That was a pr- that was a pretty surprising outcome. I will say that I kind of felt all along that the Hawks did not have a talent level on their roster that suggested that they should be an eighth seed. It kind of underscores the disappointment that they had during the season. Um, I think their their experience in the play-in showed because they came out and acted like it was a game that was a one-game series. Right, their their energy level from the start. And frankly, you know, I'm, you know, it's hard to complain about, Carl Towns overall game like you know he was plus 18 everybody else on their Wolves roster was was negative and plus minus but his play down the stretch was unacceptable and I'm going to tell you that in my view Bam Adebayo's play in this game was unacceptable he was absolutely obliterated by the Hawks interior time after time after time they were beating him to rebounds and it wasn't just him you know, I mean, they, um, the, the, the heat, you know, are a little bit smaller. I mean, Kevin Love, he only played a couple of minutes in this game. So they basically played pretty small. Um, and, you know, you know, Max Strus isn't going to get a lot of rebounds. Um, you know, Caleb Martin can rebound, but he didn't rebound that great in this game. You know, they, they, they signed Cody Zeller like late in the season to be an extra big, Like you felt their lack of rebounding, and the numbers were devastating. Pelton, the rebounding in this game was 63 to 39. Oh my god, 63 39 in a one game playoff. The Hawks had 22 offensive rebounds to six for Miami. Most they've had in the game all season. What's is that? Yeah, it had to be. My god. Twenty-six to six in second chance points in a game that was decided by eleven. It was it tied for
1: the uh, largest offensive rebound margin in any game over the last fifteen seasons?
0: Oh, I didn't see that stat. Good I think that's a play-in
2: or playoff. So I think that was postseason yeah. games, including
1: the play-ins and play-in and playoff. Yeah, yep, yep. Still pretty Eight notable. offensive yeah, rebound margin. Still a lot of
2: Capella. Uh,
0: Capella yeah. just, I'm. Look, I, is he, is I'm he healthy sure, now? I guess he had 21 he boards, like it, right? Like <laughs> he had 21 boards in 20 minutes maker when
1: he's healthy, man.
0: Um, look, I'm sure if Eric Spolstra was with us right now, he could maybe say, well, this, this, and this didn't happen. And that's why we didn't rebound. But I mean, bam, got eaten up by Clint Capella. I mean, yeah. just so many times. And so I, I don't want to put it on just him, but. Man, you know, and what I'll say about this before I turn it over to you, Pelton, on this one, the Heat got 33 points from Kyle Lowry in this game. Lowry was not much of a factor for this team in the second half of the season. And one of the reasons that they were protecting him physically was to make sure he was okay for the postseason. So they do it and they get him calibrated just right. They didn't start him. He did play starters minutes, but they started Gabe Vincent. I'll be interested to see if that happens again. On Friday, um, Lowry goes for 33 points, 11 of 16 from the field, 6 of 9 from three, with five assists and four rebounds. Hell, he was as rebounding as well from his position as anybody on their team. It's really surprising that you know you lose a game in Miami where Lowry plays that well. Jimmy Butler, who I expected to play great, did not play great. He was just okay. Um, he missed a lot of shots, was took a ton of threes, which is not his game. Uh was one of nine on threes. But um, I don't know what you saw in this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive rebounding, like you highlighted, was the biggest factor. And you know, I think if you're gonna defend Bam out of bio, it's that you know, oftentimes when he's out of position on a switch or if he's the one who'd step you up to help, that's where I think it really, you know, highlights the lack of size that Miami has alongside him that their second biggest player is Jimmy Butler is kind of their nominal power forward defensively. And that's where Atlanta was able to really take advantage. And this is something they've done more under Quinn Snyder in before the all-star break, they were 19th in offensive rebound percentage. They recovered 28% of their misses since the break. That's up to 32.5%, which is second in the league. So even though wow. Miami is generally good defensive rebounding, he sort of could, should have seen that coming from that standpoint. Uh, and I will say Atlanta now has become the first team to three wins in the play. in Memphis has also played three games, but they lost that for first one uh, in the bubble to Portland. So Atlanta is, for now some
0: straight. reason I thought they played in the bubble and this is their third time, but obviously I'm
2: wrong. More hoop collective podcast after this.
0: For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavily on the team. They should have put UD in the game, Spears. At least he, you know, he might have, you know, fought for some rebounds.
1: He looked like he was having a coronary over there, man. I want to go give <laughs> him a hug. You know, one thing too, I I just saw that Trey Young, he averaged thirty-one and eleven against the Celtics, so he's gonna to have to be spectacular for for the Hawks to compete in that series.
0: He did not have a great night. I mean. He um a lot better than one last year
1: against Miami.
0: Well, that's true. That's true.
1: He had some big shots at the end, I think, didn't he? To kind of close the game. The big plays. Um,
0: yeah, Jackson gave me the numbers. Um, he averaged 15 points, six assists, five rebounds. Um last year in that first round. Obviously, him averaging 15 is unacceptable. He scored 25 tonight, but he was and he had seven
1: time. assists and eight rebounds. That's not no, a bad he was night. he
0: was fine. It, but I mean, like in the, you know, the, the Hawks apparently are an upset team because they upset the Knicks and upset the Sixers two years ago. They upset the Cavs uh, on their home floor last year to win into their way into the playoffs. Um, they upset tonight. I don't want to make it sound like he played poorly. It Just like if you'd have told me before the game that, that the Hawks would have won, um, I wouldn't have been surprised they won the rebounding. But you would have said, well, you know, yeah, Trey Young. You know, if you, you know, I said, "Oh, what did he do?" But he go like six of nine from three, you know, for the Hawks to win on the road in a night where Trey Young in the playoffs and a or uh, Trey Young goes one of eight, that's pretty good, yeah. you know. And 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 a big thing also, by the way, the Hawks bench. I mean, this is a deep team, a very deep team. The Hawks had four guys come off their bench and scoring double figures. Um, I mean, this this is the team that brings. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bay off the bench. I mean, those. I mean, that is some some firepower.
1: And when and they um, they start Saturday,
0: uh, I believe I believe so. Yeah, they start Saturday against the Celtics.
1: And, and if you thought that MSG crowd was hard on on Trey, I can't wait to see the uh, the people in Boston. They are very special at their uh, ridicule <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. At, at their hate and, and and no nobody can spew greater disdain against an opposing fan uh, team than the Boston Celtics fans and I, and I well and for that.
0: people who don't know Spears used to live in Boston he worked for the Boston Globe Um so,
1: man, it's 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 still a great place the probably my favorite place to go see a game
0: yeah the arena itself is not a special building it's no. you know it's sort of a it's just multi-purpose it's 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 shoehorned into a area It's built on top of a train station it feels like old
1: school basketball right like still got the parquet the legend sit court side still like you know i saw a video of garnett uh paul Pierce getting on garnett about you need to show up to the games in the playoffs and make your presence known like oh. Those guys have so much like
0: that's interesting. I didn't see that.
1: Yeah. Uh no, 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 shout out to Jeff Twist. I think Raymond Rader does a good job of this, but there's no other franchise that makes their former players feel special, more special than the Boston Celtics. Jeff Twist always used to say, once a Celtics are always a Celtic. I remember when yeah. Chris Heron played like four games for him and he got tickets to like a finals game or something like that. Like they they their alumni alumni stuff is pretty amazing, but anyways, like I just I just remember talking to Kobe Bryant about how he's like we lost to them in two thousand eight, and they still threw rocks at our bus and and pushed it. <laughs> he's like he was like they were frightened leaving the arena because because of the way the fans treated their bus.
0: So here's the thing about buses in Boston, and I know this is way off topic at two o two o something in the morning. <laughs> but so that building, the TD garden, it it's, it's elevated. There's a the, the North station commuter ter, uh, train station is underneath. And so the playing floor kind of like Madison square garden is up in the air. The arena is above, above ground. Most NBA arenas are below ground um, or many are. And then the ones that aren't are usually at ground. This is up in the air. And so, For the bus to get into the building, it has to go up a ramp and it's a very narrow turning ramp and it's kind of a steep sort of ramp to get up into it. And the bus is back in there because it's easier to leave. It's it'd be really hard going downhill, especially in potential weather. So like they got to have like these, you know, whenever you have buses and loading docks in big cities, shenanigans have to get done like in the Barclays center and in Brooklyn, they built the (laughs) world's largest turntable so that a bus pulls in. So it doesn't have to back up. It pulls in straight and it goes down an elevator. A a bus goes down an elevator. And when it gets to the bottom of the elevator, it gets on a turntable and it spins the bus. Um, so that 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 way it can go be pointed in the right direction. They didn't think of that technology or whatever in Boston. So the bus drivers in Boston have to back go backwards up like this ramp. And like, I think it's, you know, I think it's unsettling. It's unsettling to watch. I can't imagine, uh, driving up it, but that's like how you arrive, uh, into, into, the, into the TD garden, like with a white knuckle. Cause like if, if something, you know, Spears, you know, what I'm talking about like, they're oh, like yeah. 50, 60 feet in the air. Right, or maybe, maybe not that high, maybe 40 feet in the air, like hanging on the edge of this ramp going backwards uphill. It's not, I wouldn't look out the window if I was in the bus. Just no, put it wh- that
1: whoever the bus drivers are, have to be out like outstanding at their job. Like if there was a bus driving reality show, they need to put them in competition, <laughs> you know,
0: right? Um, all right, that was your bus driving playoff analysis for the um, uh, the Hawks Celtics series. Um, I thought that maybe the Celtics would not be thrilled to see the heat. Um, They gave them problems. Obviously last year went down to the final horn, even though the heat are not the same team as they were last year. They had the potential to kind of be the same team. Um, They gave the Celtics some problems this year. Um, I'm not sure that the Celtics would admit this because being the two seed and defending Eastern conference champs, I'm sure they're not afraid of anybody who was in the play in. Um, but I assume Pelton that you know, I shouldn't assume, but I suspect that the, they don't mind that it's the Hawks coming out, Adam, as opposed to the to Jimmy Butler again.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a more Celtic style free flowing type of game you know, that's, that's the kind of game they want to play, get up and down, shoot a lot of threes. They don't necessarily want to grind things out against Miami. So I think from that standpoint, there's probably a little, be careful what you wish for, because as you talked about, you know, Atlanta's depth, uh, you know, I think it's something that's advantageous for them. And then there's also just the element, and I think we saw this to a degree tonight with the Hawks, like there's a certain point total that if you get to Miami just probably is not reaching that because of the yeah. fact that their games are a rock fight. And I think that will help them if it's Toronto in the the do or die play in game on Friday. Even Chicago is, you know, probably still going to play a lower scoring style of game than uh, the more offensive style of Atlanta, but you know, in this series that might be more how Boston wants to play is is uh, you know, let's get this in the 110s.
0: And also, the the Heat play a bunch of different unusual style defenses, weird zones, and stuff like that. That it's, you know, it takes more preparation. Um, um, Spears, before we go, I wanted to get your opinion of what Zion Williamson said today um, when he met with the media. um, The Pelicans are hosting um, the Thunder in their 8-9 or 9-10 play-in game on Wednesday night. Um, Zion was talking about his hamstring injury that he suffered the first week of January and has kept him out basically for the rest of the season. And um, he had a setback around the All-Star break. Uh, I don't know if he described that, but he was getting, he was ramping up to play and then all of a sudden got shut back down again. And this is the quote that I think a lot of people um, are uh, reacting to. He said, quote, physically, I'm fine. Now it's just a matter of when I feel like Zion. I know the atmosphere I'd be entering based off playoff experience. So it's just a matter of when I feel like Zion. And he kept referring to himself in the third person. Um, and it's a little bit of a mental battle because, you know, when I reaggravated the injury back in February, it was tough. So when I go to make certain moves, there's that hesitation. Sometimes there's a Sometimes there's not, and sometimes there is. And I understand the magnitude of these games coming up, and I don't want to be out there hesitating or doing something that may affect my team in a bad way. I I, I think that that... And I was right you know, behind
1: you know, him when he said that. What's that? I was standing right behind him when okay. he said that.
0: All right. So, your thoughts?
1: <sighs> I wonder what was scripted, and I wonder what was him. I think um, maybe Pelicans fans were a little disappointed because they wonder like, you know, is this more mental than physical? Can he, if it's mental thing, can he shake through it and, you know, get through this to play? Um, and it, it, it sounded like a lot of it was mental. And I think we, we can't underestimate what you have to do to go from not having played since January 2nd to all of a sudden you're playing in a do or die situation. I think that's a lot. And when, he wasn't able to play in the last regular season games. I, I I felt like it would be hard to just throw him in to a playing game that of this magnitude. Um, I think the old school in us, our generation, is like, hey man, you need to get out there. Willis read it. Five minutes, 20 minutes is better than no minutes. Um, but then you look at a guy like Joel Embiid and and how they took their time with him and how he was able to turn it around. So I do wonder with him and Jose Alvarado, if they do make it to the postseason, can he show back up there? But I was kind of left wondering, like, you know, this is like respective to the Pelicans, like what was the script and what was really him? Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I And I don't know that anybody outside of that organization really knows the answer. But I do think it, I can't, the, the mental part of it, I would guess certainly had to be his feelings.
0: I would assume so. I mean, in a vacuum, it's a responsible thing to do. If a guy says I need to trust my leg, then you got to go with that. But I think it's because of the other stuff, the other injuries and the baggage from last year that, it just feels like Groundhog Day for the Pelicans fans, yeah. And I don't know if you can, if they can look at it a different way. But there was a real sort of I could, t- I could feel a frustration emanating from the people who heard that. Even though I appreciate him speaking publicly, because yeah, it's so but much the, better. He work.
1: wasn't at first. I don't think no. I wasn't expecting him to be there. I was, um, you know, talking to one of their players about fishing, and then all of a sudden he showed up. So I had to finish that conversation.
2: (laughs) Recheck. Yeah,
0: that's uh, that's Spears, man. He cares about basketball and fishing. That's
2: uh,
0: (laughs) he got hooked on it in the bubble in the in the the lakes in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Um, Pelton. The thing is, um, if you're the Pelicans, um, you may say to yourself, "Well, maybe this guy is never going to be healthy." and how can we make him our franchise player but then again when he doesn't play they can't really be they haven't been really super successful when he does play they are so it's like can't win with him can't win without him situation so far and so um they have really no choice but to be patient at this point i mean people say trade him trade him trade him i, I don't think that's realistic i i think uh i think they got to just stick with him.
2: yeah i mean look other teams are aware that Zion Williamson has missed time due to injury too. Really? Like, you think? <laughs> like they're, they're not all of a sudden going to trade you as if he's Zion Williamson, you know, the, the completely healthy version that we know has been so dominant whenever he's been on the court. So, you know, I think it is a, a bit of a challenge in terms of team building because you almost sort of need to have two rosters, the roster that can fit with Zion and the one that can perform without him. But, you know, I think when Brandon Ingram plays, like he has the last few weeks, if C.J. McCollum is playing well, he's the kind of guy who can be effective with the ball in his hands or, you know, compliment Zion with his shooting. You know, those are the right kind of pieces to, to put in place for that kind of scenario. I think the other thing I'd say is, you know, if you want a kind of optimistic view on this, think back a year ago when Jamal Murray didn't come back from that ACL injury that he had suffered about a year ago. Uh, at this time last year at the start of the playoffs. And, you know, it seemed to be a kind of a similar thing where, you know, he just did not feel right, did not feel comfort, confident and comfortable out there on the court. And then he had the entire offseason to continue his rehab, came back this season and looks like the Jamal Murray that we all expected him to be. So, you know, uh, obviously with Zion, there's always going to be the ongoing concern about, you know, not necessarily re aggravating, but some sort of injury cropping up. But, uh, I don't think that necessarily the fact that he isn't ready to play right now should tell us anything about going forward.
0: I agree. It just was um, was just not what people wanted to hear. Doesn't mean it's not the right thing to say. Okay. Thank you guys for staying up late. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you, Pelton. Thank you, Spears. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, got we're planning on having a special guest on the pod on Friday. You know, I don't really go outside the collective, but this is an adjunct member of our collective. Matt Stats Williams from ESPN stats and info who gives us all our trivia questions and stuff will be joining us to set you guys up for the playoffs. So look forward to that. Hey, can I ask one question before we go? Yeah. yeah.
1: So like, is Jackson like editing this to like 6am and then putting it out or like what's, what's, I hope it's not. not Can can we hear from Jackson?
2: Certainly not. Hopefully until 6am, but I'll I'll be editing for a bit. I mean, none of us is cursed. Fortunately. Yes. that, That was huge. Not having
0: McMahon was a personal <laughs> request. Right. Jackson is is young and, you know, he stays up until all hours anyway. He's going to go to a, a club course.
1: afterwards. He's good.
0: Yeah, he he doesn't go to the clubs in uh, Connecticut. And we're in, you know, greater. That doesn't
1: mean he can't get to New York.
0: That's true, Jackson. You could hang it up right now and get down there. I'm, I hear it's popping on Tuesday night in Manhattan these days. I'll be sure to ask Bondams. Um, up
1: going up on a Tuesday. <laughs> no, Just man. I'll
0: give you his address. Just knock on his door.
1: No, he, he uh, he's waiting for the yogurt shops to open up. He ain't going nowhere.
0: <laughs> uh <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, Hoop Collective. We'll talk to you soon.